Good morning. Awesome. Good to see your face. Let's do that one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's much better, much better, much better. All right. Well, as you've already heard, we are uh, preaching through our <clears throat> identity, uh, our identity series, and we are preaching through our mission. And so um, uh, I'm excited to, to be able to kind of share uh, the next kind of leg of our mission with you this morning, or at least to preach through it. And I uh, pray that you'll join me in doing that. But before we um, open the book and uh, begin to do our work, let's ask God for his help. Can we do that? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning and um, we declare our desperation. And even as we use the word, we just don't know how deep our desperation is. Some of us, Heavenly Father, may be feeling it uh, in different ways based on what's happening uh, right now at the backdrop of our lives and the, the things that we have to return to once we exit these walls. Some of us, Lord God, feel it right now based on what's going on in our very bodies and in our minds and hearts. Um, but Lord God, in all of that, we hand it over to you and we ask that uh, you would meet us at our greatest need, that you would prioritize, Lord God, all of the things that are screaming for our attention and you would bring us to the thing that matters most, Lord God, and that is we need a word from you. We ask, Lord God, that you would bless our hearing, that you would also bless our speaking and that you would not leave us to ourselves, oh God. We are desperate for you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, Jalen doesn't know this, but um, we're going to have uh, kind of an unofficial, he didn't authorize this yet, but we're going to have, where is Jalen? Where is Jalen? There you are. An unofficial uh, choir audition. Yeah, this morning, choir auditions, unofficially. All right, and so uh, to get in, you don't have to be good. You just have to be in unison. Can we do that? All right, if you want to get in, you want to be in the gospel choir? Yeah. All right, good. Doesn't require any practices. Uh, any, <laughs> you don't have to show up for rehearsals, none of that stuff. You just have to kind of get in on this one act of unison. So we are going to say our mission together, right? Can we do it? All right, let's go, let's go, let's go. So in unison. All right, so we as a church, we, we exist to do what? Make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. All right, I heard Ryan. I heard some of you also. Let's do it one more time in use. Again, this is your big shot to get in the choir, right? Um, we exist to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. Awesome. So last week you heard us talk through or walk you through the Great Commission, and uh, we, we talked about not only the Great Commission, but just our great call to do what? To make disciples. And so we want to advance the conversation a little bit further this morning and talk about um, our urgent obligation to make disciples who are growing in the gospel. Yes, I, I hope that this will be a highly participatory uh, message this morning. So we want to make disciples who are growing in the gospel. Well, what exactly does that mean and where can we go in scripture to get a greater understanding of what it means to grow in the gospel? So I want to take a look at a passage that you've already heard, but I want to read this passage to us with just uh, uh, some fresh emphasis on a couple of key points and see exactly what it means for us to make disciples who are growing in the gospel. It says, in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, it says, I am under obligation 
both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In these four verses, I believe the Apostle Paul gives us a great composite of what it means to grow in the gospel. I'm going to give them to you up front just in case you did not see them. When it comes to growing in the gospel, I believe disciples who are growing in the gospel will grow in at least three ways. We should be growing in gospel urgency. We should be growing in gospel dependency. And we should also be growing in gospel literacy. Again, we should be growing in gospel urgency, gospel dependency, and gospel literacy. And this is who we are. This is our identity. We want to continue to grow in the gospel. Again, we want to grow in gospel urgency, gospel dependency, and also gospel literacy. Now, where do we get these things from? When we look at Paul's words here in verse 14, he says, I am under obligation. Some of your Bibles may even read in verse 14, I am, uh, uh, I feel a great indebtedness. But he says, I am under obligation to preach to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. But that's a strong word, obligation. Don't know how comfortable that feels in a society like ours, but where is it that Paul is getting this sense of indebtedness? But it's not just a of indebtedness that he declares because he says he feels an obligation to preach the gospel to both the Greek and to barbarians. These are people who are on opposite ends of the cultural sophistication spectrum, right? And then he says also to the wise and the foolish, those who are on opposite ends of the intellectual spectrum. So where is it that Paul is actually getting this sense of urgency that comes with a, it's a, it's an indebtedness that he feels without prejudice, I mean, some of us, I, I, I get it, Probably, you know, Pastor Ryan and I were talking just a couple of weeks ago. It's like, man, do you ever wonder if within our congregation we have those who are more comfortable sharing the gospel with those who are exactly like them or at least people who we feel like we have a leg up on them? So I don't know, but we need to talk about it. You see, the, the, the gospel urgency comes with, yes, a call and a passion toward a specific and distinct group, but real raw gospel urgency, first and foremost, comes to us in a way that is both a, a great indebtedness that comes without prejudice. Now, this word obligation, if you look at any underlying language, is some interesting terminology. So it, it, it's the word debt, but it's not the kind of debt that you and I might experience from, you know, you know a tax bill a house note, a car note, overdue library fees, a speeding ticket, right? Pick your debt that you have in life. But I want you to think about the other side of indebtedness. Imagine, if you will, if the mailbox just stopped filling up with bills or the email box never had any more bills. You did a little bit of investigation and you found out that someone had paid the car note. Someone had paid in full the house note. Someone had paid in full the traffic ticket. Someone had paid in full all of the parking tickets. Someone had paid in full the library fees. Someone had paid in full every imaginable fee that you could possibly find out. The obligation and the indebtedness just shifted from the company to which you owe those things to the person who just paid them off. Does it not? 
I mean, would you not search rapidly to find out how and who has done this? And would you not feel, if that kind of indebtedness had been worked out in your life, would you not feel a great sense of obligation to the individual or the entity? Even if you could never fully repay them in kind, even if you didn't have anything to offer that was of similar in magnitude, would you not feel a similar obligation to do something? How can I respond to this great work you've done in my life and gotten rid of all this other indebtedness? Would you feel that? An amen right here will suffice. Amen. All right. So there is a great indebtedness that is marked without prejudice. And Paul has this, but one must ask the question, where does he get it from? The Bible teaches us clearly, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, listen to these words of Paul and see where you can find out if this indebtedness without prejudice comes from. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me, with, and with the faith and love that are in Christ, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. There's one more passage of scripture that really paints a picture of where Paul gets this great gospel urgency and this sense of indebtedness without prejudice from. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Listen carefully. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that worked in me. Ladies and gentlemen, an urgency for the gospel, to grow in urgency for the gospel, begins with an amazement of his grace. Paul is utterly amazed by the grace of God. He feels a deep sense of indebtedness to the Lord Jesus Christ, not because the Lord has hung something around his neck or tethered him in some way and made him a prisoner, but his deep indebtedness is based on the great amount of debt that was paid for him and on his behalf. Gospel urgency grows out of an amazement with God's grace. But guess what? An amazement with God's grace is only going to be proportionate to an awareness of my own self and sin. Notice how the Apostle Paul says in that passage, in his amazement with God's grace, he says, this is a faithful statement. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And oh, by the way, I'm the biggest. I'm the chief and I'm the foremost. Oh, by the way, God's got a big plan to share the gospel throughout the world. He's appointed and raised up apostles and gave gifts unto me. And, and guess what? Among them, I'm the least. So among sinners, he considers himself to be the chief. And amongst apostles, he considers himself to be the least. And it is out of that passion that he works with an incredible amount of urgency. Whether it's Greek, whether it's barbarian, whether it is wise, whether it is foolish, man, turn me loose. I'm ready to come to you all who are in Rome. Gospel urgency grows out of an amazement with God's grace and an understanding and a, a deep awareness of my sin. Do you join me in vulnerability in saying that sometimes you lack motivation to share the gospel? Will you join me in that? I think the text has given us a tip that if you ever feel a lack of motivation, immerse yourself in the great awareness of God's grace and what it did on your behalf. Because that's where Paul gets his motivation and his sense of urgency from. And so, 
We ought to make disciples. We, we exist to make disciples who are growing in the gospel. And that first aspect of growth is that we should grow in gospel urgency. I want to bring awareness to something else that Paul says that, that would, might go missed. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15, again, if you look at the last verse, we read it earlier, it was with the group but 12 through 15. He says, this is a faithful and trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am the foremost. I want you to note that Paul's urgency is aimed at the sin that he sees that is wrecking the world. There are many different impulses that we can have enthusiasm about. We, in, in previous months and weeks, have had various organizations here on the stage to talk about different marginalized people groups. And in, in within those groups that we share with you, many of us have a heart that beats for those who, are, uh, who need a good neighbor because they're new to our country and they are refugees. There are those of us who have a heart that beats for mothers who might be contemplating abortion. There are those who have a heart for those who are impoverished and uh, they need uh, just a total life makeover of sorts. There are those of us who have a, a heart for uh, those that need foster care and various uh, supports of that nature. And it is awesome that we have these impresses on our lives where we want to see gospel resolution to the circumstances of life. But I want to remind us that gospel urgency must begin by looking at who can address the sin that breaks the culture rather than just the circumstances that has shaped the culture. I'm going to say that again. Our deep urgency for the gospel must extend from seeing that Jesus came to address the real, the core issue. It is sin that is breaking our culture and not just the circumstances that surround or that shape the culture. So again, maintain your passion for specific marginalized people groups. Maintain that passion. Pursue that passion. But in all of that passion, make sure that the differentiator is it is gospel passion to see the sin that breaks those areas being addressed by the cross of Christ. Gospel urgency must differentiate itself from just basic social services that happen to be offered out of buildings with steeples on top. I mean, what is the core differentiator? If we're just passionate about the circumstances that break the culture or the circumstances that shape a person's culture, but we are not passionate about the sin that has actually broken the culture, it's hard to find out where the gospel should go. Therefore, we want to grow in gospel urgency, and growing in gospel urgency begins with me seeing myself as one of the great recipients of God's grace, maintaining a high amazement with that grace and a high level of awareness of my own sin will keep me focused that even when I see cultural circumstances that do indeed need relief, it'll keep me grounded to seeing that the real issue here is sin, and Jesus Christ came to address that. We want to make disciples who are growing in the gospel. And to grow in the gospel also means to grow in gospel urgency. But gospel urgency is not a standalone attribute. Gospel urgency isn't something that you're just going to conjure because this is a, one of your favorite messages. Gospel urgency isn't just going to come up because someone told you you needed enthusiasm for it. Gospel urgency must grow from and be founded on something else. And that's our second point that I see in verse 16. If you look at verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's something else that Paul has, and that's not only a gospel urgency, but he also has a great sense of gospel dependency. 
a great sense of gospel dependency. One of my favorite places in the passages of scripture uh, that I read about Paul's life is that he's a man who is incredibly learned, incredibly skilled, has all the credentials that one could imagine. But he says, when I came in among you, I claim to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He expresses a deep sense of gospel dependency in his ministry, even though he has all these other capacities. We too should grow likewise in our gospel urgency by developing a deep sense of gospel dependency. Now, when it comes to the fact that Paul says he, he is not ashamed of the gospel, exactly what does he mean? Uh, this word here in the underlying language, or the Greek, uh, for shame means it's a person, it's a sense of emotion that one feels when you get demoted. Now, when you think about the first set of points that we covered, it would almost feel like that. When the gospel came and invaded Paul's life, when the grace of God showed him himself and his need for Christ, it sounded like a demotion. Man, I'm the, I'm the chief among sinners and the least amongst apostles. It sounds like it might have been a demotion. But he says, I'm not ashamed of that background. I'm not ashamed of what the gospel's doing in my life. It is actually the power of God unto salvation. I need that deep awareness. This is powerful. So what's powerful about growing in gospel dependency? One of the things that I'm regularly amazed about uh, is the work that I sometimes see my wife do. She doesn't have uh, it with her today. Um, do you crochet at church? I don't think so. Yeah. But if you've been around uh, uh, Carrie, uh, it's nothing, man, for her to sit up in front of the television just for hours. And she's got these, you know, independent bags of yarn. And she's just like, boom, just going away, just kind of working this kung fu with her fingers or whatever. And then just like out of the other side of these, these independent strands comes this beautiful infinity scarf. And it's this awesome thing. Like, and I, I just love watching the work. We used to make fun of her all the time. It was like, man, you are the youngest grandma we know on this crochet out here. But it's a beautiful thing. But you know what it does? It reminds me of an analogy of gospel dependency. You see, I believe that true gospel dependency will cause my life to look more like a tapestry than a T-shirt. So you see, when, when Carrie takes these independent strands, these independent colors, and she weaves them together, when they come out, they don't look like just yarn that's been glued together or pasted together. They are intricately woven into one another to create this new product. And here's the deal. The new thing, you can clearly see the, the different strands, but you can't tell where one ends and where one begins. It reminds me of a passage like this that the Apostle Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is an old standby. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you soak in that passage, you see Paul's life, you see Christ's life, you see influences of the gospel, but you see it all woven together. And so gospel dependency should look like this. It should look more like a tapestry than a t-shirt. A tapestry shows the deep weaving and interwovenness to produce this one new thing. But a t-shirt is just the same thing I had before, but we're just going to iron on a new patch. That's not the gospel. That's not gospel dependency. Gospel dependency isn't just changing teams. Gospel dependency isn't just putting on a new outfit. Gospel dependency isn't just about representing a new name and a new cause or picking up a new initiative. Gospel dependency should look more like intricately woven tapestry than it would a t-shirt. What more does this look like? The gospel should be woven in and not ironed on. When we talk about this, what, what does it look like actually in practice? 
Just a brief statement. The gospel is at work not only in my conversion, but also in my ongoing conformity to his likeness. The gospel is at work not only in my conversion. It's not just the doormat, right? It's not just the diving board. It's the whole swimming pool, as you've often heard us say in Gospel Hope 101. The, the, the gospel isn't just a starting point. It is a continuation of the weaving of the life into a great dependency on the Lord our God. The gospel is at work both in my conversion and in my ongoing conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think about some of the great statements of Scripture uh, when it comes to weaving in the gospel. The first shall be last. It it impacts my identity. Uh, uh, Submission and sacrifice when it comes to the life of a family. The Bible informs us how it is that husbands, if you want a robust marriage, you ought to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You ought to give up certain things. Submission and sacrifice are one of the portraits. When it comes to our enemies, the Bible Bible tells us that we should love our enemies the same way we would love our friends and even love ourselves. When it comes to our specific abilities, the Bible tells us that the Lord's strength is actually made perfect in our weakness. When it comes to our authority and our promotability, the Bible invites us to look at the, at the Lord Jesus Christ and says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, but then made himself of no reputation. And then the scriptures continuously there in Philippians just continue to tick down and show how the Lord Jesus Christ goes from the top to the bottom. And then the Bible says, and the Father gave him a name which is above every name. So we figure out that actually the way up is down. And then we also see not only in our vitality, Jesus would say these words, hey, if you want to gain your life, you got to give it up. When it comes to tragedy, we've been told from the book of James that we should rejoice in suffering. When it comes to generosity, we're told that richness, true richness comes out of poverty. When we look at the Beatitudes, it's the, those that are poor that have the greatest degree of inheritance. When it comes to personal glory, the Bible tells us that you better celebrate in your humiliation the same way you would in your elevation. So the Bible looks to touch, the gospel looks to touch every single aspect of the believer's life. That is that great tapestry. There is no kind of life, no category of life, no chapter of life, no aspect of life that the gospel does not touch. It's not just the beginning of the conversation. It is the continuation of the ongoing conversation until we are conformed to the image of Christ. But when I use those various examples, did you notice something? I'm going to say them to you again. These varying aspects of life that the gospel purposes to touch, my identity, my family, how I treat my enemies, my own assessment of my abilities, my, my, my authority and promotability, uh, my vitality, how I handle tragedy, the way I view generosity, and how I even view personal moments of glory. Did you notice that as I went through each one of them, there was a certain tension created? There were all these paradoxes. There were all these paradoxes like celebration and humiliation, rejoicing and suffering, living through dying, The way up is down. Did you notice those great paradoxes? You see, the gospel is filled with paradoxes. And a life that is predicated and built upon and pursuing gospel dependency is a life that is always living in some kind of perpetual paradox. This is not jeopardy, but there is something awesome about the paradox. And God explains why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 31. Listen to these words. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. Not many, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, no, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became 
came to us wisdom for, from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. A lifestyle of gospel dependency. A life that is woven into the gospel like a great tapestry. A life that is powerfully lived in the paradox of the gospel will reflect this truth and reality. God has wired redemption in such a way that anything I become and everything I accomplish, Christ gets the credit. That's the life of gospel dependency. We grow in gospel dependency every time we hand over areas of our lives that are typically prone to self-sufficiency. If you're struggling with this, if you're saying, man, well, how do I get to that place of dependency? I believe that the Bible speaks to all those areas. Well, yeah, it speaks to a lot of different areas. And you would be tired to try to isolate every single one of them every single week. But would you do me a favor? Look at the areas of your life where you are prone to self-sufficiency and say, Lord, how do I bring this area under the powerful paradox of the gospel where anything that I become and everything that I accomplish is done in such a way that Jesus Christ gets the credit? When we do that, we are beginning to live a life of growing gospel dependency. And see, gospel urgency grows out of gospel dependency. But gospel dependency grows out of something else. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For in it, this is talking about the gospel, the it is the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 17 illustrates for us that we should also be growing in gospel literacy. Here's why. How? is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. How is that possible? What does that mean? That, 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 the, that the righteousness of God is being constantly and continuously unpacked for us. I, um, one of the um, um, probably most impactful um, experiences in my recent life has been uh, visiting a museum, both visiting both Ground Zero, the place where um, um, obviously, the terrorist attack took place uh, in our country. But then also visiting a museum that has taken a ton of the, the artifacts from Ground Zero and put them on display. And there's this room that has these enormous airplane engines that are not replicas, they are the real deal. This, these, these cell phones that rang indefinitely as family members were trying to reach their own who had been obviously tragically displaced uh, in the attack. Uh, there's these chairs uh, from, the, from the airplane. There's this humongous steeple that came from one of the towers. There's these, these things, and you're, you're just inches away from them. And I remember where I was when it took place. I was like 27 years old. I was standing in my office in Detroit, and someone said, oh, man, look what's happening. You know, it looks like a plane made a mistake and hit a building. And then, of course, we found out the full deal. And, and for years, from the age of like 27 until I actually went to the place, like at 30-something, like, like I had an appreciation a deep appreciation for what happened, but there was something about going to ground zero that made it resonate with all the new significance. For those of us that are reading the Bible together, it's one thing to read the Bible and to have a glowing, casual, surface-level appreciation for the gospel, but there's nothing like getting to ground zero. Ground zero of the gospel is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. It says, now, 
I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, here's the guy who's responsible for 14 of the 27 New Testament epistles, and he says, I'm delivering to you what I consider to be of first importance, that which I also received. Right, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and appeared to Cephas and to the 12. And in subsequent verses say even above 500 brethren. Gospel urgency grows out of gospel dependency, a deep work that's happening in me. But gospel dependency in me must begin with gospel literacy. Gospel literacy, here's the markers. We need to know where to locate it, ground zero. We must learn to locate the gospel, not just the word, but do we know where to find it? I, hopefully, we have solved that mystery today. That, that, that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5 is the formal, outlined, declarative of the gospel. But not only do we need to learn how to locate the gospel, but we need to learn how to navigate our way back to the gospel regardless of where I am in the word. So for those who joined us this morning in the Old Testament survey course, you are learning certain things of, man, here's the gospel and glimpses of it as early as Genesis and Psalm and Deuteronomy and and other places in the book of, of, of Job. Here's where I can find glimpses of the gospel. And that's a part of the great work of increasing one's gospel literacy. So it isn't just God trying to make us nerds or just to grow our brains. If we're growing in gospel literacy and getting more familiar and more skilled with locating and identifying the gospel in the scripture, it also contributes to our gospel dependency, which will also result in our gospel urgency. Let me share something with you. Look back at the text. This is verse 17. Paul does something interesting. He says, for in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you know that that's a quote from the second chapter of Habakkuk? In other words, gospel literacy, that is, that is the apostle Paul and all that he knows, he's constantly looking at the scriptures and not only are fresh appreciations of the attributes of God being poured out as he gets more and more literate in the gospel, but then he's also able to navigate all over the word and to see glimpses of the gospel from start to finish. This is the place that we want to grow to. We want to make disciples who are growing in the gospel, who are growing in gospel urgency, gospel dependency, and now also gospel. Yeah, it ain't on the screen. You just got to know it now. So, To grow in gospel literacy, I believe, begins with just ground zero. We must learn how to locate the gospel in all of its obvious appearances in the scripture, but we also need to learn how to navigate our way back to the gospel regardless of where we are. But then here's something else we need if we want to grow in gospel literacy. I need to learn how to articulate the gospel in my own words. Memorization is awesome because that means you know where to locate it, but articulation in your own words is even more paramount if we're gonna grow in gospel literacy. You've heard it from this stage many times again, many, many, many times, and you will never cease to hear it, hopefully, as long as you attend, that the gospel is the, 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 the voluntary, substitutionary, and necessary death, burial, and resurrection in victory of Jesus Christ. The voluntary death of Jesus Christ, it was done lovingly. 
Not under compulsion. He did it lovingly and willingly. Substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It was supposed to be us. He died in our place. It was necessary. The scriptures inform us that there is no way to satisfy the wrath of God or to, to, that there can be no remittance of sin unless there is a shedding of blood. The death of Jesus Christ was a necessary gesture, not a nice suggestion. But then also we are told that not only is it voluntary and substitutionary and that it was necessary, but we were told that our Lord was raised in victory over sin, death, and the devil, the greatest foes that mankind has ever encountered. We're still trying to beat death, and we cannot, but Christ can. And so we need to learn how to articulate the gospel in our own words. So we must grow in the gospel literacy by being able to locate it in the word, to navigate it uh, uh, regardless of where we are in the word, to articulate it in our own words. But here's something else that's going to be turned into an action item for us, but to also associate the gospel with gaps that I see in my own world. You see, the gospel, gospel literacy, here's the, here's the capstone or the marquee of gospel literacy. Being able to go into the scripture and look for gospel glimpses and then to look at my world and see gospel gaps. That's when I know that I'm growing in gospel literacy because I not only just know where it's found, but I also look at my world and I know where it fits. When I see something on the news, I'm not just hearing a report, but I'm also analyzing and looking with kinds of scrutiny to say, now where is there gospel truth and reality that is missing from that scenario? How is that representative of a blind spot of who God is and what he wants to do amongst humanity? This is when we are growing in gospel literacy. When we no longer are just reading headlines and seeing Facebook posts, but our hearts and minds are engineered to understand where our Christ needs to fit to address the crisis. And so we want to be a people that grow in gospel literacy, excuse me, gospel literacy, because that is the foundation of our gospel dependency, knowing just how much we desperately need him and how we should weave him into our life. But gospel dependency will also create within us an amazement with God's grace and translate to a great sense of gospel urgency. As I close, I want to offer us a couple of action items. When we started last week, we said that we want to, we want to be a church or we exist to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family <laughs> while on mission. Love it. And how are we growing in the gospel? In gospel urgency and gospel dependency and gospel literacy. A couple of weeks ago or last week, you received an action item to take out a little note. You were handed a piece of paper and you wrote down three names. The three names were people within your social circle or somewhere in your life that you're praying to or working to or want to see take the next spiritual step. You, you were involved in discipling them. There was one name that you circled and said that you were going to take action in actually helping them take the next spiritual step. I want to give you another action item. I want to give you another action item, and here it is. We've been reading the Bible together, and I want you, I want you to work on articulating the gospel in your own words. I want you to go to ground zero, learn how to locate it, and I want you to take a step back and say, all right, I, I've located that. Now, how would I articulate this? I want you to increase in gospel literacy this week. That's action item number one. I want you to create a way to communicate the gospel in your own words if you don't already have it. Now, if you already have it, you just got one action item. I want you in your conversation with the person you circled, the one of those other three, whoever you're gonna do it to, I want you to, in a gospel-centered conversation, find a way to work the gospel in. Have the conversation. 
and recognize this, it may be awkward, that's awesome, because now you're in the paradox. It's not happening in your strength because you feel comfortable and you got this thing nixed. It may feel hostile, that's awesome, because you aren't always gonna get a pat on the back from people in whom we engage with the gospel. You're now living in that gospel paradox. You are, you are, by stepping out here and communicating the gospel as it has worked in your own life, you are subsequently experiencing gospel dependency because it may be uncomfortable in the way that the person responds. So you got your two action items. Learn to communicate the gospel in your own words, to articulate in your own words. But then I want you to go step two. I want you to turn around and articulate that same gospel to the people who you wrote down on that piece of paper last week. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning and we are thankful to you for your abundant grace and your amazing grace. I beg, Lord God, that you would continue to amaze us with your grace so that we would feel the same urgency that Paul felt. I pray, oh God, that you would continue to amaze us with the powerful paradox of the gospel so that we would feel its dependency in our lives and, and we would get extremely comfortable with being uncomfortable for doing your work because we now realize that we're resting in your grace. And oh God, increase our gospel literacy. Help us so that our work in the scripture, our, our labor in reading the passage isn't just for compliance, it is for deep comprehension of your wondrous love. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.